Homeland, Chapter 4, The First House Four cycles of Narbondal, four days later. A glowing blue disc floated up the mushroom-lined stone path to the spider-covered gate of House Duarden. The sentries watched it from the windows of the two outer towers and the compound as it hovered patiently three feet off the ground. Word came to the ruling family only seconds later. "'What can it be?' Breeza asked Zack Nefane when she, the weapons master, Dinan, and Maya assembled on the balcony of the upper level. "'A summons?' Zack asked as much as he answered. "'We will not know until we investigate.' He stepped off the railing and onto the empty air, then levitated onto the compound floor. Breeza motioned to Maya, and the youngest Duarden daughter followed Zack. "'It bears the standard of House Ben Ray.' Zack called up after he moved closer. He and Maya opened the large gates, and the disc slipped in, showing no hostile movements. Ben Ray! Breeza whispered over her shoulder, down the house's corridor to where Matron Malice and Ryzen waited. It seems you are requested an audience, Matron Mother, Dinan put in nervously. Malice moved out to the balcony, and her husband obediently followed. Do they know of our attack? Breeza asked in the silent code, and every member of House Duarden, noble and commoner alike, shared the unpleasant thought. House Devere had been eliminated only a few days before, and a calling card from the first matron mother of Menzo Baranzen could hardly be viewed as a coincidence. "'Every house knows,' Malice replied aloud, not believing the silence to be necessary precautions within the boundaries of her own complex." Is the evidence against us so overwhelming that the ruling council will be forced to action? She stared hard at Breeza, her dark eyes altering between the red glow of infravision and the deep green that showed in the aura of normal light. That is the question we must ask. Malice stepped up onto the balcony, but Breeza grabbed the back of her heavy black robe to stay her. You do not mean to go with the thing? Malice's answering look showed even more startlement. "'Of course,' she replied. "'Machin Benray would not openly call upon me if she meant me harm. Even her power is not so great that she can ignore the tenants of the city.' "'You are certain that you will be safe?' Ryzen asked, truly concerned. If Malice was killed, Breeza would take over the house, and Ryzen doubted that the eldest daughter would want any male by her side.' Even if the vicious female did desire a patron, Ryzen would not want to be the one in that position. He was not Breeza's father, was not even as old as Breeza. Clearly, the present patron of the house had a lot at stake in Matron Malice's continued good health. "'Your concern touches me,' Malice replied, knowing her husband's true fears. She pulled out of Breeza's grasp and stepped off the railing, "'straightening her robes as she slowly descended. "'Breeza shook her head disdainfully "'and motioned Ryzen to follow her back inside the house, "'not thinking it wise that the bulk of the family "'be so exposed to unfriendly eyes. "'Do you want an escort?' "'Zack asked Malice as she sat on the disc. "'I am certain that I will find one "'as soon as I am beyond the perimeter of our compound,' "'Malice replied.' 
Matron Ben Ray would not risk exposing me to any danger while I am in the care of her house. Agreed, said Zack. But do you want an escort from House Duarden? If one was wanted, two discs would have floated in, Malice said in a tone of finality. The matron was beginning to find the concerns of those around her stifling. She was the matron mother, after all, the strongest, the oldest, and the wisest, and did not appreciate others second-guessing her. To the disc, Malice said, "'Execute your appointed task, and let us be done with it.' Zack nearly snickered at Malice's choice of words. "'Matron Malice Duarden,' came a magical voice from the disc. "'Matron Ben Ray offers her greetings.' "'Too long has it been since last you two have sat in audience.' "'Never,' Malice signaled to Zack. "'Then take me to House Ben Ray,' Malice demanded. "'I do not wish to waste my time conversing with a magical mouth.' Apparently, Matron Ben Ray had anticipated Malice's impatience, for without another word the disc floated back out of the Duarden compound. Zack shut the gate as it left, then quickly signaled his soldiers into motion. Malice did not want an open company, but the Duarden spy network would covertly track every movement of the Benray sled to the very gates of the ruling house's grand compound. Malice's guess about an escort was correct. As soon as the disc swept away from the pathway to the Duarden compound, twenty soldiers of House Benray all female, moved out from concealment along the sides of the boulevard. They formed a defensive diamond around the guest matron mother. The guard at each point of the formation wore black robes emblazoned on the back with large purple and red spider design, the robes of a high priestess. Ben Ray's own daughters, Malice mused, for only the daughters of a noble could attain such a high rank. How careful of the first matron mother have been to ensure Malice's safety on this trip. Slaves and drow commoners tripped over themselves in a frantic effort to get out of the way of the approaching entourage of the group as it made its way through the curving streets toward the mushroom grove. The soldiers of House Benray alone wore their house insignia in open view, and no one wanted to invoke the anger of matron Benray in any way. Malice just rolled her eyes in disbelief and hoped that she might know such power before she died. She rolled her eyes again a few minutes later when the group approached the ruling house. House Ben Ray encompassed twenty tall and majestic stalagmites, all interconnected with gracefully sweeping and arching bridges and parapets. Magic and fairy fire glowed from a thousand separate sculptures, and a hundred regally adorned guardsmen paced about in perfect formations. Even more striking were the inverse structures, the thirty smaller stalactites of House Ben Ray. They hung down from the ceiling of the cavern, their roots lost in the high darkness. Some of them connected tip to tip with the stalagmite mounds, while others hung freely like poised spears. Ringing balconies, curving up like the edging of a screw, had been built around the length of all of these, glowing with an overabundance of magic and highlighted design. Magic, too, was the fence that connected the bases of the outer stalagmites, encircling the whole of the compound. It was a giant web, silver against the general blue of the rest of the outer compound. 
Some said it had been a gift from Loth herself, with iron-strong strands as thick as a drow elf's arm. Anything touching Ben Ray's fence, even the sharpest of drow weapons, would simply stick fast until the matron mother willed the fence to let it free. Malice and her escorts moved straight toward a symmetrical and circular section of this fence between the tallest of the outer towers. As they neared, the gate spiraled and wound out, leaving a gap large enough for the caravan to step through. Malice sat through it all, trying to appear unimpressed. Hundreds of curious soldiers watched the procession as it made its way to the central structure of House Ben Ray, the great purple glowing chapel dome. The common soldiers left the entourage, leaving only the four high priestesses to escort Matron Malice inside. The sights beyond the great doors to the chapel did not disappoint her. A central altar dominated the place, with a row of benches spiraling out in several dozen circuits to the perimeter of the great hall. Two thousand drow could sit there with room to stretch. Statues and idols too numerous to count stood all about the place, glowing in a quiet black light. In the air, high above the altar loomed a gigantic glowing image, a red and black illusion that slowly and continually shifted between the forms of a spider and a beautiful drow female. A work of Grumph, my principal wizard, Matron Benray explained from her perch on the altar, guessing that Malice, like everyone else who came to Chapel Benray, was awestruck by the sight. Even wizards have their place. As long as they remember their place, Malice replied, slipping down from the now stationary disc. Agreed, said Matron Benray. Males can be so presumptuous at times, especially wizards. Still, I wish that I had Grumph at my side even more these days. He has been appointed Archmage of Mensa Bronzen, you know, and seems always at work on our bundle or some other such task. Malice just nodded and held her tongue. Of course, she knew that Benray's son was the city's chief wizard. Everybody knew. Everybody knew, too, that Benray's daughter, Triel, was the matron mistress of the academy, a position of honor in Menzoboranzan second only to the title of matron mother of an individual family. Malice had little doubt that matron Benray would somehow work that fact into the conversation before too long. Before Malice took a step forward to the stairs to the altar, her newest escort stepped out from the shadows. Malice scowled openly when she saw the thing, a creature known as an illithid, a mind flare. It stood about six feet tall, fully a foot taller than Malice, most of the difference being the result of the creature's enormous head. Glistening with slime, the head resembled an octopus with pupilless, milky eyes. Malice composed herself quickly. Mind flares were not unknown in Menzoboranzan, and rumors said that one had befriended Matron Benray. These creatures, though, more intelligent and more evil than even the drow, almost always inspired shudders of revulsion. "'You may call him Methil,' Matron Benray explained. "'His true name is beyond my pronunciation. He is a friend.' Before Malice could reply, Benray added, "'Of course, 
Mathieu gives me the advantage in our discussion, and you are not accustomed to illithids. Then, as Malice's mouth dropped open in disbelief, Matron Benray dismissed the illithid. You read my thought, Malice protested. Few could insinuate themselves through the mental barriers of a high priestess well enough to read her thoughts, and the practice was a crime of the highest order in the drow society. No, Matron Benray explained immediately on the defensive. Your pardon, Matron Malice. Mathiel reads thoughts, even the thoughts of a high priestess, as easily as you or I hear words. He communicates telepathically. On my word, I did not even realize that you had not yet spoken your thoughts. Malice waited to watch the creature depart the great hall, then walked up the steps to the altar. In spite of her efforts against the action, she could not help peeking up at the transforming spider-drow image every now and then. "'How fares House Duarden?' Matron Benray asked, feigning politeness. "'Well enough,' replied Malice, more interested at that moment in studying her counterpart than in conversing. They were alone atop the altar, though no doubt a dozen or so clerics wandered through the shadows of the great hall, keeping a watchful eye on the situation. Malice had all that she could handle in hiding her contempt for Matron Benray. Malice was old, nearly five hundred, but Matron Benray was ancient. Her eyes had seen the rise and fall of a millennium. By some accounts, though, Drow rarely lived past their seventh and certainly not their eighth century. While Drow normally did not show their age, Malice was as beautiful and vibrant now as she had been on her one hundredth birthday. Matron Ben Ray was withered and worn. The wrinkles surrounding her mouth resembled a spider's web, and she could hardly keep the heavy lids of her eyes from drooping altogether. Matron Ben Ray should be dead, Malice noted. But she still lives. Matron Benray, seeming so beyond her time of life, was pregnant and due in only a few ten days. In this aspect, too, Matron Benray defied the norm of the Dark Elves. She had given birth twenty times, twice as often as any others in Menzoberranzan, and fifteen of those she bore were female, every one a high priestess. Ten of Benray's children were older than Malice. "'How many soldiers do you now command?' Matron Benray asked, leaning closer to show her interest. Three hundred, Malice replied. "'Oh?' mused the withered old drow, pursing a finger to her lips. "'I had heard the count at three hundred and fifty. Malice grimaced in spite of herself. Benray was teasing her, referring to the soldiers that House de Warden had added in its raid on House de Vere. Three hundred, Malice said again. Of course, replied Ben Ray, resting back. And House Ben Ray holds a thousand? Malice asked for no better reason than to keep herself on even terms in the discussion. That has been our number for many years. Malice wondered again why this old decrepit thing was still alive. 
Surely more than one of Ben Ray's daughters aspired to the position of matron mother. Why hadn't they conspired and finished matron Ben Ray off? Or why hadn't any of them, some in the later stages of life, struck out on their own to form separate houses, as was the norm for noble daughters when they passed their fifth century? While they lived under Machin Benray's rule, their children would not even be considered nobles, but would be relegated to the ranks of the commoners. You have heard of the fate of House de Vere? Machin Benray asked directly, growing as tired of the hesitant small talk as her counterpart. Of what house? Malice asked pointedly. At this time, there was no such thing as House de Vere in Menzoberranzen. To draw reckoning, the house no longer existed. The house never existed. Machen Benray cackled. <laughs> of course, she replied. You are matron mother of the ninth house now. That is quite an honor. Malice nodded. But not as great an honor as matron mother of the eighth house. Yes, agreed Ben Ray. But ninth is only one position away from a seat on the ruling council. That would be an honor indeed, Malice replied. She was beginning to understand that Ben Ray was not simply teasing her, but was congratulating her as well, and prodding her on to greater glories. Malice brightened at the thought. Ben Ray was in the highest favor of the Spider Queen. If she was pleased with House to Arden's ascension, then so was Loth. "'Not as much an honor as you would believe,' said Ben Ray. "'We are a group of meddling old females, "'gathering every so often to find new ways "'to put our hands into places that they do not belong.' "'The city recognizes your rule. "'Does it have a choice?' <laughs> ben Ray laughed. Still, drow business is better left to the matron mothers of the individual houses. Loth would not stand for a presiding council exacting anything that even remotely resembled total rule. Do you not believe that House Ben Ray would have conquered all of Menzoboran's in long ago if that was the Spider Queen's will? Malice shifted proudly in her chair, appalled by such arrogant words. "'Not now, of course,' Matron Benray explained. "'The city is too large for such an action in this age. But long ago, before you were even born, House Benray would not have found such a conquest difficult. But that is not our way.' Loth encourages diversity. She is pleased that houses stand to balance each other, ready to fight beside each other in times of common need. She paused a moment and let a smile appear on her wrinkled lips. And ready to pounce upon any that fall out of her favor. Another direct reference to House Tevere, Malice noted. 
this time directly connected to the Spider Queen's pleasure. Malice eased out of her angry posture and found the rest of her discussion, fully two hours long, with Machen Ben Ray, quite enjoyable. Still, when she was back on the disc and floating out through the compound, past the grandest and strongest house in all of Menzoboranzan, Malice was not smiling. In the face of such an open display of power, she could not forget that Machen Ben Ray's purpose in summoning her had been twofold to privately and cryptically congratulate her on her perfect coup, and to vividly remind her not to get too ambitious. Chapter 5. Weaning For five long years, Verna devoted almost every waking moment to the care of baby Drizzt. In drow society, this was not so much a nurturing time as an indoctrination time, the child had to learn basic motor and language skills, as did children of all the intelligent races. But a drow elf had to be grilled on the precepts that bound the chaotic society together. In the case of a male child such as Drizzt, Verna spent hour after endless hour reminding him that he was inferior to the drow females. Since almost all of this portion of Drizzt's life was spent in the family chapel, he encountered no males except during times of communal worship. Even when all the house gathered for the unholy ceremonies, Drizzt remained silent at Verna's side, with his gaze obediently on the floor. When Drizzt was old enough to follow commands, Verna's workload lessened. Still, she spent many hours teaching her younger brother. Presently, they were working on the intricate facial, hand, and body movements of the silent code. Often, though, she just set Driz about the endless task of cleaning the domed chapel. The room was barely a fifth the size of the great hall in House Ben Ray, but it could hold all the dark elves of House Duarden with a hundred seats to spare. Being a wean mother was not so bad now, Verna thought, but still she wished that she could devote more of her time to her studies. If Matron Malice had appointed Maya the task of rearing the child, Verna might already be ordained a high priestess. Verna still had another five years in her duties with Drizzt. Maya might attain high priestesshood before her. Verna dismissed that possibility. She could not afford to worry about such problems. She would finish her tenure as wean mother in just a few short years. On or around his tenth birthday, Drizzt would be appointed page prince of the family and would serve all the household equally. If her work with Drizzt did not disappoint Matron Malice, Verna knew that she would get her due. "'Go up the wall,' Verna instructed. "'Tend to that statue.' She pointed to a sculpture of a naked drow female about twenty feet from the floor. Young Driz looked up at it, confused. He couldn't possibly climb up to the sculpture and wipe it clean while holding any secure perch. Driz knew the high price of disobedience, though, even of hesitation, and he reached up, searching for his first handhold. Not like that, Verna scolded. How? Drizzt dared to ask, for he had no idea of what his sister was hinting at. Will yourself up to the gargoyle, Verna explained. Drizzt's small face crinkled in confusion. You are a noble of House Duarden, Verna shouted at him. Or at least you will be one day when you earn the distinction. In your neck purse you possess the emblem of the house, an item of considerable magic. Verna still wasn't certain if Drizzt was ready for such a task. 
Levitation was a high manifestation of innate drown magic, certainly more difficult than lining objects in fairy fire or summoning globes of darkness. The Duarden emblem heightened these innate powers of drow elves, magic that usually emerged as a drow matured. Whereas most drowned nobles could summon the magical energy to levitate once a day or so, the nobles of House Duarden, with their insignia tool, could do so repeatedly. Normally, Werner would never have tried this on a male child younger than ten, but Drizzt had shown her so much potential in the last couple of years that she saw no harm in the attempt. Just put yourself in line with the statue, she explained, and will yourself to rise. Drizzt looked up at the female carving, then lined his feet just out in front of the thing's angled and delicate face. He put a hand to his collar, trying to attune himself to the emblem. He had sensed before that the magic coin possessed some type of power, but it was only a raw sensation, a child's intuition. Now that Drizzt had some focus and confirmation in his suspicions, he clearly felt the vibrations of magical energy. A series of deep breaths cleared distracting thoughts from the young drow's mind. He blocked out the other sights of the room. All he saw was the statue, the destination. He felt himself grow lighter. His heels went up, and he was on one toe, though he felt no weight upon it. Driz looked over at Verna, his smile wide in amazement. Then he tumbled to a heap. "'Foolish male!' Verna scolded. "'Try again!' Try a thousand times if you must. She reached for the snake-headed whip at her belt. If you fail... Driz looked away from her, cursing himself. His own elation had caused the spell to falter. He knew that he could do it now, though, and he was not afraid of being beaten. He concentrated again on the sculpture and let the magical energy gather within his body. Verna, too, knew that Driz would eventually succeed. His mind was keen and sharp as any that Verna had ever known, including those of the other females of House Duarden. The child was stubborn, too. Drizzt would not let the magic defeat him. She knew he would stand under the sculpture until he fainted from hunger if need be. Verna watched him go through a series of small successes and failures, the last one dropping Drizzt from a height of nearly ten feet. Verna flinched, wondering if he was seriously hurt. Drizzt whatever his wounds, did not even cry out, but moved back into position and started concentrating all over again. "'He is young for that!' came a comment from behind Verna. She turned in her seat to see Breeza standing over her, a customary scowl on her older sister's face. "'Perhaps,' Verna replied, "'but I'll not know until I let him try.' "'Whip him when he fails,' Breeza suggested." "'pulling her cruel six-headed instrument from her belt. "'She gave the whip a loving look, as if it were some sort of pet, "'and let the snake heads writhe about her neck and face. "'Inspiration!' "'Put it away!' Verna retorted. "'Drizzt is mine to rear, and I need no help from you.' "'You should watch how you speak to a high priestess!' "'Breeza warned, and all of the snake heads' extensions of her thoughts "'tuned menacingly toward Verna.' "'as matron mother will watch how you interfere with my tasks,' "'Verna was quick to reply. "'Breeza put her whip away at the mention of matron malice. "'Your tasks!' she echoed scornfully. "'You are too yielding for such a chore. "'Male children must be disciplined. "'They must be taught their place.' 
Realizing that Verna's threat held dire consequences, the older sister turned and left. Verna let Brisa have the last word. The Ween Mother looked back to Drizzt, still trying to get up the statue. Enough! she ordered. Recognizing that the child was tiring, he could barely get his feet off the ground. I will do it! Drizzt snapped back at her. Verna liked his determination, but not the tone of his reply. Perhaps there was some truth to Breeza's words. Verna snapped the snake-headed whip from her belt. A little inspiration might go a long way. Verna sat in the chapel the next day, watching Drizzt hard at work polishing the statue of the naked female. He had levitated the full twenty feet in his first attempt this day. Verna could not help but be disappointed when Driz did not look back to her and smile at his success. She saw him now, hovering up in the air, his hands a blur as they worked like brushes. Most vividly of all, though, Verna saw the scars on her brother's naked back, the legacy of their inspirational discussion. In the infrared spectrum, the whip line showed clearly trails of warmth where the insulating layers of skin had been stripped away. Verna understood the gain in beating a child, particularly a male child. Few drow males ever raised a weapon against a female, unless under the orders of some other female. How much do we lose? Verna wondered aloud. What more could one such as Drizzt become? When she heard the words spoken aloud, Verna quickly brushed the blasphemous thoughts from her mind. She aspired to become a high priestess of the Spider Queen, Loth the Merciless. Such thoughts were not in accord with the rules of her station. She cast an angry glare on her little brother, transferring her guilt, and again took out her instrument of punishment. She would have to whip Drizzt again this day for the sacrilegious thoughts that he had inspired within her. So the relationship continued for another five years, with Drizzt learning the basic lessons of life in Drow society while endlessly cleaning the chapel of House Duarden. Beyond the supremacy of female drow, a lesson always accentuated by the wicked snake-headed whip, the most compelling lessons were those concerning the surface elves, the fairies. Evil empires often bound themselves in webs of hate towards fabricated enemies, and none in the history of the world were better at that than the drow. From the first day they were able to understand the spoken word, drow children were taught that whatever was wrong in their lives could be blamed on the surface elves. Wherever the fangs of Verna's whip sliced into Drizzt's back, he cried out for the death of a fairy. Conditional hatred was rarely a rational emotion. <laughs>